All right, well, good morning again. I'm Marty Cates, the associate pastor here, and it's my joy this morning to open God's Word with you as we begin a new uh, sermon series. It's just a, a four-week sermon series. You've probably gotten accustomed to the, the front of our bulletins having some kind of artwork or image or whatever that corresponds to uh, the current sermon series. And so this one is, is the new one, and it's just four little images and words. Uh, for the last uh, year, but really specifically for the, the first six months of this year, uh, the elders of, of the church have been praying and studying and discussing and meeting uh, together, talking about who we are as a church, talking about who our community around us is, who's, who is Midlothian, and, and how do we see it changing? Because I don't know about you, but when I drive through Midlothian today, it doesn't look anything like it did even when we moved back to Virginia five years ago. And it's going to keep changing. If you haven't seen, there's a lot of tractors around and bulldozers and land clearing things. And they just keep building houses and townhomes and condos and apartments. And it's a changing community. And so the, the, the elders of the church began to sit down and say, okay, so who is God calling us to be as a church that we might reach the community that is becoming Midlothian around us with the good news of the gospel? And so they've come up with this new vision for the church that's rooted in the vision that we've always had, that we're committed to Christ and His Word, but that we're a church that is robust and joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And with any vision that unifies us in our mission, what comes out of it are values, values that we hold as a church and the four values that we fellowship together, that we join together in love, value discipleship, that we grow together, we value equipping, that that we, we thrive together. And that we become a community that's missional, that's thinking about our neighbors, our friends, our family, and each other that need to hear the good news of the gospel, that need the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And then those four kind of values are are, are summed up in in that we we live together, that we grow together, that we thrive together, and that we go together. And it's just this this cycle. And so this, this morning I get to talk to us, preach for us, This first value, that that we live together, that we are joined together in love. And so I'd ask if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're in Acts chapter 2 this morning, uh, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error on any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word and we ask that you would use it. You'd use it to draw us to the cross that we might see our sin and that we might repent and believe afresh. Jesus is Lord and Christ. That he is the Savior. We come this morning asking your spirit to be active and moving, drawing us into deeper faith and obedience, that we might pursue the righteousness of Christ and the things of your kingdom with more fervor and faith. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. 
Amen. Maybe seated. Life together. Fellowship that we would we would be joined together in love. It's funny, we, we live in an age, if we're honest with ourselves, of, of distrust, of division, of disunity, even here among us this morning. Right? I mean, there's some here this morning that, that wonder why isn't everyone wearing a mask? Why don't we care about others? There's some here this morning that think masks are the greatest affront to your personal freedom they've ever seen. Why hasn't everybody gotten their vaccine? Some wonder. Some, some say, I'm not too sure about it yet. It's not safe. I'm trying to put a microchip in me and track me. That Bill Gates. Some here on Saturdays might cheer, you know, wahoo wah. And the rest of us might cheer, wahoo football. Ha ha ha. Listen here, thought that, that we, we would find unity as a, as a country again if we just elected Grandpa Joe as president. He's just a lovable, likable guy. It hadn't come. The division still stands, the disunity is still there, red or blue. Some of us in here are, are fans of Jeopardy, and, and it's been polarizing all the different hosts they've had since Alex has been gone. But even more polarizing has been the tactics of the latest champion. If you're a Jeopardy fan, you know what he's doing. He's not answering questions with what is. He's answering it with what's. He's shortening it. He thinks he's cheating. Many people think he's cheating the system, but it's within the rules. Even in this room, the person down the other end of the aisle might have different convictions than you do. And yet we gather week in and week out, this day of the week, in churches around the world. Because even in the midst of our division, our disunity, our distrust, the gospel brings unity into the midst of our division. The gospel brings unity. It brings unity to us because we're united together by faith. We're united together by faith. We see it first off in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? This is the end of chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the people of God. And Peter stands up in the midst of a large crowd and says, well, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. And he begins to unfold for the crowd that's listening who this Jesus is. And he quotes from the, the Old Testament prophets. He quotes from the Psalms. And then he proclaims to them the Christ that you crucified. This man, Jesus, that you crucified. God has made him Lord and Christ. He was the anointed one. It says the crowd was cut to their hearts. And they said to the apostles, what are we supposed to do? And the apostles said, repent and believe and proclaim that Jesus is the Savior, every one of you, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the early church is, is united by faith in Christ. They, they all see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior, and so they're united together in this common belief that Jesus is Lord and Christ, that Jesus is the Savior. But it's not just that they're united by faith in Christ. It's that they're united by faith to Christ. It's not just the, the fact that we have faith that unites us. It's the very object of our faith that unites us even greater. 
this gift that is promised of the Holy Spirit is, is one that Jesus promised. And, and Peter says, receive the gift. When, when you proclaim Christ as Lord, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's in that Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit that unites us to Christ. In life, in death, in resurrection. We're united to Him. We now have in Him as Paul starts the book of Ephesians, he uses that, that phrase again and again that in him, in him, and all the blessings he names that come with, with faith are because of Christ. And that being united to him brings those blessings to us. And being united to him, we are united to his bride, to each other. Even the, the crazy drunk uncle and the, the cat-loving aunts. You don't get Jesus without his bride. And so we're united by faith. And we're united to Christ. I have a, a book that I had to buy for seminary that was really thick. I didn't like it in seminary. I don't like it much now because I'm not a, I'm not a reader, not an academic, and it is just, it's thick. It's this book of systematic theology that Louis Burkhoff wrote. And he says about the union with Christ, he says, it is the intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life, their strength, of their blessedness, and their salvation. All of the benefits of Christ that we have are because we are united to him and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so by faith, we are united to him. And so this, this apostle's teaching they have claims proclaims to them that, that they've been united to Christ, that his righteousness is theirs and their sin is his. And so they're united together. And they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we, we hear the word devoted and we think, okay, we're, we're devoted to something. We're giving our all to it. And that's 100% what, what we, we should be thinking of. But it's even greater than that. This word can, can carry the connotations of submission. So when it says that they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they're submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching in its fullness. But what are the apostles' teaching? Well, Throughout the book of, of Acts, we see them proclaiming from the Old Testament Jesus as Lord. We see them proclaiming that, that we're sinners in need of salvation and calling people unto repentance. As people of the New Testament, the, the apostles' teaching grows for us. It's not just the Old Testament, it's now the New Testament. And so as, as God's people, when we devote ourselves, we're submitting ourselves to God's Word. And so as we're united by faith, united to each other we're, we're submitting ourselves together to God's word the easy parts and the hard parts it's, it's a kingdom ethic that we're submitting ourselves to in God's word and there's places in our lives that we know we struggle with living up to the ethic there's the places that are easy easy for me easy for you maybe there's places that are easy for you and hard for me but we're called to submit to it and that means together we're called to struggle in those places and that means that we're supposed to live in, in ways that invite each other into those places of struggle that we might carry on with each other. That we might, we might put our, our arm around someone to carry them through hard times and dark times. To encourage them onto faith and good works. Because we're united together by faith in Christ and to Christ. We're not just united by faith, we're united in love. Beginning in verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together 
and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I've seen this verse uh, used in some places recently talking about, you know, this is the case for socialism. There were always a whole, this is not an ethics, I mean, this is not an, econ- an economics lesson. This is an ethics lesson. This isn't talking about how, how we should carry on as an economy, but how we should carry on as the people of God in caring for one another, in providing for one another, that, that we should see needs in the church and we should rise as the church to meet them. I've always thought that if we're living this ethic out as the church, there'd be no need for life insurance or medical insurance or disability insurance. I know some of you out there that are insurance salesmen are like, whoa, you're working me out of a job there. It's all right. They'd be a safety net for you because the church would step in to care for you. I'm going to be there in the new heavens and the new earth. There's not going to be a need for me then. I'm going to have to find something else to do. But the church is called to care. And so where they saw need, they sold possessions and, and provided for one another. Yeah, I, before I, I went off to seminary, um, I, I worked in wholesale finance. Great job for a little while. And uh, I, I started in, in wholesale finance in 2005 and was a hybrid wholesaler in my territory. I'd fly back and forth to New York City, the five boroughs in Westchester County. I was in New York City on, on the, the week of March 10th, 2008. If you work in finance, that's a week that stands out to you in the history of finance. Because it was that week, that week that Bear Stearns began to, to shake. And by the beginning of the next week, it didn't exist any longer. See, on March 11th, the Federal Reserve created a special fund to, to help with liquidity issues that they were experiencing. $50 billion for investment banks. But it was targeted for Bear Stearns. That Friday, I was supposed to have a meeting with 87 brand new Merrill Lynch stockbrokers to do a training session and try to convince them to sell my company's investment management products over somebody else's. By Thursday at closing bell, it was obvious Bear Stearns was not going to make it. By Friday, it was plainly obvious as they had gone down to about $3 a share and by Sunday it had been sold for $236 million. company had been valued at $7 billion 18 months before. 87 brand new stockbrokers are supposed to come to training. Three showed up. Of those 87, five would still be in the business a year later. None of the three that showed up for my training were, were there. We have a church in our denomination, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It's in New York City. I have friends that are on staff there now, friends that were on staff there then. And, and during that time, they tell you that about 70% of their congregation had some connection with their work to Wall Street. Either on it or in it or around it, some connection to the financial industry. The week after Bear Stearns was sold, one of their members came to meet one of the pastors and just said, you know, hey, I've, I've, I lost my job. Half my net worth is gone. And before my friend could even begin to console or pastor or share any words of encouragement, he said, but I got a check for the diaconal fund. Who do I give it to? Because there's going to be folks who have greater need than me. That church that year received more money into its diaconal fund than it had received that far in the history of its church. And not by a few dollars, five-fold. A church that, that many were losing their jobs, many had lost a significant part of their own financial security, but said, I'm going to give to this fund which cares for those in need because there's going to be folks who in, are in need greater than me. They had trouble finding enough people to give 
money to. Inside the church and outside the church. Caring for one another, united in love and how they cared for one another. And Sycamore, I have to say, this is something that you do well. It's something you do well. We got the same problem they have with their diaconal fund. You know, I, I sometimes think, you know, Meredith and I have been blessed again and again abundantly by this church. But I sometimes think, like, if something happened to me, that might be better taken care of than they are currently. Because you guys just show up and show out. I mean, a, a baby's born and the meal calendar goes up, and before I can sign up to provide a meal, it's filled. And I like to cook, so slow down on how fast you sign up. Someone gets sick and needs meals, and it's, I mean, it's just above and beyond. It is a blessing to see the church care for the church. You know, there, there have been moments where a need arises, and, and we're, gonna, we're, we're stepping in to, to meet the need as the church, and somebody steps forward and says, hey, you can't tell anybody. I know they're on hard times, but, but here's enough gift cards for groceries for their family for the year. That's happened. And I'm told you can't tell anybody who it is. So I get to experience the joy of watching the church care for the church, but I can't tell anybody else who's doing it. That's the beauty of the church. That's the, the ethic that we are called to as the church. But it's not just that, that we're to care for one another in love. It's that, that in love, they like being with each other. I know it's crazy. It says that they, they were together day by day. They were together they're going to the temple. They're having, having breaking bread in, in their homes. Going to the temple. They're doing the church stuff together. They're going to the Bible studies and the prayer meetings together. They're showing up to serve together. They're showing up to worship together. They're together day by day as the people of God because they're united in love. They enjoy being together. Do you enjoy being together? They, they show up to care and to listen to cry and to laugh, to be the shoulder that's needed and the strong arm that's ever present. That's what we're called to be for one another. To one another. If you're here this, this morning, you're not a believer, you know, how's your community show out for you? Are, are, are they there to speak hope into your life in desperate and hard and dark times? Or is it fleeting? Because the hope and the joy that we're promised in Christ Jesus is not. It's not fleeting, it's eternal. See these, this phrase, breaking bread, and we often hear that it's, it's that they were practicing the Lord's Supper, but that's not, that's not it. It's an idiom that's used some, over 20 times in the New Testament. And almost every time that's used, it's just having a meal together. Paul uses it after the shipwreck, that he had a meal with the other survivors. Jesus uses it when he feeds the multitudes. Again and again, it's just the simple practice of sitting together and having a meal. And there's a, a country song uh, out there uh, by this guy, Chris Rice. I'm, I'm a country music fan. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, you're, you're welcome. But I'm gonna, I, I, I want you to read, I want you to hear these lyrics. He says, I ain't never been the church going type. I can't quote much past 316. Even though it's a Friday night, church found me. And then he goes to the chorus and he says, we're sitting here drinking beer, talking God, amen. Killing time, living life with some down-home friends. When the world's gone crazy, man, it all makes sense. Sitting here, drinking beer, talking God, amen. What a picture of what we're to be as a church. When, when, when the world is crazy, 
when, when life is turned upside down, that we are to come alongside each other and talk God and remind each other the good news of the gospel, remind each other the hope and the joy and the promises that are given to us because we're united to Christ. That there's a day coming when all the sorrow and the anguish and the, the division and this unity will be over. And all things will be set right. That's the call of being united in love. And lastly, they're united together for joy. Verse 46, it says that day by day they're attending the temple and breaking bread and they're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts and says, and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're united for joy. Well, where's the joy, Marty? Where's the joy in, in that passage? Well, Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. If you're not familiar with them, I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of all three of them. I'm not going to read them because one of them is really long. But he, he's, the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are there and the Pharisees and the scribes are there and they're grumbling. And they said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, tells these three parables. The first parable of a lost sheep. And it ends with, and when the, the man finds his lost sheep, he, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And he goes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that I lost. And then Jesus says, And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he launches right into the next parable. Woman's lost a coin. She's looked all over the house. She's looked under the house. She's looked in the, the back of the freezer and, and everywhere. And then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. And Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he ends Luke 15 with a longer parable, the parable of, of the lost son, the son who says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine and my inheritance. And he goes off and he lives the party life and he just lives it up and you know, he runs out of money. And he finds himself eating pig slop and he says, I'm going to go back and my dad's servants have it better than I do. And before he can even get to the house, his dad has run out to him and embraced him and says, bring the best robe, put the ring on his finger for my son has returned. Get the fattened calf, invite the community. We're having the party. Because what was once dead is alive. My son is home. Celebrates. Celebrates over the return of his son. And the older brother says, you know, gets angry and won't come into the party and says, where's my party? I've been here working and striving and he's been wasting your money. And the father says, what is mine has always been yours. But this son of mine was lost and is found was dead and is alive. Come in and celebrate. They're united for joy because they're united for mission. They're united as God's people to, to be living life in the community so that they find favor in the eyes of everyone. They're united so that others can experience the joy of knowing God because they've been reconciled to him through Christ Jesus, their Savior. They're to have joy when those friends and those family, those co-workers profess faith. And we should be a people that party. 
And I long for us to be able to do that. I long for us to get to the place where this, this community begins to experience revival and we begin to see people who are far off come home and rest in the work of Christ, their Savior. So that we can rejoice. So we can dance. So we can party. You know, I titled this sermon more than potlucks and solo cups. I grew up a Southern Baptist. You can't talk about fellowship without talking about potlucks. I mean, some of the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. Those Sunday potlucks have been my favorite, favorite, favorite Sunday of the month at Western Heights Baptist Church because I know it was going to get some good potlucks and some good greens. I ate too many of them, as you can tell now. But it's more than that. There's another song about solo cups by this guy, Toby Keith. And he says about solo cups, said, red solo cup, I, I fill you up, let's have a party. And we, we often treat the things that we do as a church like that, that, that for us to end up having a party, we've got to pour Jesus into the cup until it's full. And so we gather and we say, okay, now we've got to have a prayer meeting first, we've got to have a Bible study first. Folks, you're united to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you gather together as the people of God, you gather in his name, whether you, get, you walk in the room and say, hey, this is in Jesus' name now. No, it already is. He's in you. And so when you come together with other believers, the promise that, that where two or more are gathered in my name, he'll be there, is true. Because he's there. Because you're united to him and so are they. We don't have to spiritualize things as the church to make them worthy. Just gathering together for a simple meal gathering together just to enjoy time together gathering together just to sit around and talk God or cry together or, or watch a game together becomes a means of grace because it's with the people of God they're united to Christ you're united to Christ and together Christ is present you know we have the, the table set before us this morning and this table is a table that there, there should be some somberness to it because we, we, we need to examine our hearts are we worthy of the table are we coming with our hands wrapped around our idols, wrapped around sin that we're not willing to let go? Or are we willing to come to the table with open hands and say, let me receive the grace that is given? But there's also part of this table that should be a table that's jubilant. Because this table is a sign and a seal of a greater feast to come. It is a sign and a seal of the promises that are ours as we're united to Christ. It is a sign and a seal of the feast that is being prepared. That's far grander and far better than any feast we've ever had. It is the wedding feast of the Lamb that is promised to us when the end is here and Christ returns. And so as we come to this table, it should be a table that, that yes, we take seriously, but it's a table that should bring us joy. It's a table that should bring us life. It's a table that, that brings life because that's what's promised. Fellowship is more than potlucks and solo cups. Because fellowship is living life together. As God's people, shoulder to shoulder, walking through hardship, walking through joy, walking through suffering, and encouraging one another on in faith and to good works. Because we're united to Christ Jesus, who is Lord, who is Savior. And so as we come this morning to the table, rejoice. Rejoice as you're united to Christ that this is yours. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come this morning thankful for your word. We come this morning rejoicing for the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. 
as we're united to Him. Rejoicing of the hope that is ours. Rejoicing for the fellowship that is the gift You have given. Fellowship with one another and a fellowship with Christ Jesus our Savior. We pray this all in His name. Amen.